All right, gang, so just a quick heads up. Uh, instead of doing what I've been promising for ages, which is to get around to that audiobook, instead I went ahead and compiled all 10 years of the Blue Skies writing that I did and put it together in a fucking book. It's going to go on Amazon here real damn quick, listed as the Lunatic Fringe book. You'll be able to find it in pretty much any of the marketplaces that Amazon has. It is literally every single word I ever wrote from that magazine, and it's all put together in nice book form. You can buy it in ebook, you can buy it in paperback, and believe it or not, you can even buy it in fucking hardback. Uh, again, it's going to be available here really, really soon. This one not only includes all the articles that were in the first fucking pilot book, but about 60 more articles. It's got 350 or so pages of some pretty funny, inappropriate, and hopefully informative shit. So check it out. Blue skies call. They seduce us, pulling us irresistibly upwards, reminding us to fly our own line, on our wings, and in life. We are the seekers, adventurers, being one with the air, feeling everything and nothing at once. That's the magic we chase. Follow the call. Find your pure wild flight with NZ Aerosports. Of course, I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on. One glance at an Icarus fuck yeah sticker and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe, there's a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports fuck yeah. NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, they'll let you swap it out for another size or model or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot, the Crossfire 3 when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch, the JFX 2 if you're looking to up your new swoop game, the Leia as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast, or the Petra. The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low pack volume canopy specifically with wingsuiting in mind, she gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So, the equipment is top-of-the-line kick-ass stuff, as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at nzaerosports.com, and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, 
Once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah! Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! Back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. And you've been in here before, but we're starting from scratch again, so please tell me, who the fuck are you? What do you do? Well, uh, I'm fucking you and Kerry. And, uh, you are. Fucking Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> you are fucking you and Kerry, man. Yeah. How have you been? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. Um, been busy, uh, traveling around a bit. So, uh, I don't know. Let's, let's start with the beginning, then. Sure. You said to introduce myself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. tell me who you are, and, and we'll we'll talk about how you got started in the sport. Yeah. Okay. So I'm um, Ewan Curry. Uh, I'm from Scotland, and uh, I'm one of a few skydivers who made it out of Scotland and started uh, doing it full-time internationally. So I, uh, I basically, I'm a full-time skydiving photographer. All right. Um, yeah. And I started out in a small drop zone in Scotland. Like many people, just fun jumping, and then I started to film tandems to get extra jumps and a bit of money. Uh, and then I got into teams and that sort of thing, and became an AFF instructor. And then around eight years ago, I took the leap to be a full-time skydiver and moved to France at that point. And then I moved uh, to Dubai at one point, back to France, and now I live in Imperial Bravo in Spain. And that's it. Sounds like it's been a rough fucking life. That's tough, mate. Um, I, I feel bad, dude. I feel really bad. Like my heart goes out. <laughs> Fuck you, man. <laughs> All right. So first off, let's let's start with Scotland. Uh, when I think of Scotland, the first thing that does not come to mind is beautiful blue skies and Scott having weather. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, uh, that's kind of one of the main reasons I left. Not the only reason, <laughs> but basically, it's hard to be a full time skydiver if you can't skydive. You know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, well you're so absolutely right. how did the weather is terrible? How did um, it uh, how did it yeah. even get started? Knowing that it's uh, it's obviously not a particularly easy sport, just weather wise. Well, in Scotland, we're we're pretty stubborn. You know, if someone <laughs> says or something says you can't do something, then we'll go and do it anyway. You know, um, but no, I don't know if that's the only reason, but uh, it's probably definitely up there because. We would uh, go to the drop zone, even if the weather looked terrible for the weekend, but mainly just because we had such a great social scene and we'd have big parties anyway, and uh, that's where all my friends were, so that's nice. what to be at the weekend, you know? Now, what was the initial draw to skydiving, or was it just anything extreme, or, or was there something specifically about skydiving that got you? Well, I've always been, uh, if you ask my parents, probably a bit crazy, all right. uh, my my parents used to drag me off cliffs and uh, anything you could climb from when I was like two years old upwards. Um, 
so yeah, they, when they were here in Imperia last week, they were telling some of the stories again about when I was a kid. I felt a bit embarrassed for for myself, you know. But uh, I think so. I think it started from that, and then I'd always wanted to skydive, but I hadn't realized it was possible. You know, hmm. I thought it was something that you'd do in the military or in America or something like that. You know, right? I'd seen Pulp Fiction, for example, not Pulp Fiction, sorry, Point Break, and uh, right. and I thought. Yeah, and puppies, but uh, no, I've seen Point Break, and uh, and I thought, wow, that'd be incredible. But then it kind of left my mind because I didn't think it was possible. Sure. But then I saw a demonstration jump into a park in Edinburgh when I was the freshest week in university, so the first week of university, and uh, I saw a little plane, and I saw some figures drop out of it, and then open their parachutes, and I was like, what the hell? And then he landed in the park, and it was a demo jump for the Edinburgh Uni Skydiving Club. And I was just like, man, uh, take my money. You know, I couldn't believe it. And this is, this is as you were getting ready to start university in Edinburgh. Yep. yep. The first week of uni. And it's the week that normally you choose which sports clubs or computer clubs or whatever you're going to join. It's kind of like a soft start, you know, so everyone just parties and then joins some clubs. And then, you know, the next week after that is when the work starts. Sure. But for me, kind of, uh, you know, the skydiving just took over my life. Even, even from before it even started, I was like, "Well, I'm going to be skydiving in two weekends' time. This is awesome!" And then I jumped, and then the Scottish weather stopped me jumping for four months. Of course. Well, mm-hmm. so now, when you showed up in Edinburgh, what were you going to be when you grew up? Well, I studied geology and geography. Geology. Um, <laughs> geology. Yeah. All right. Geology, where were you? Geology. Where were you going to go with that? Uh, well, I don't know, but I'd always liked the outdoors and uh, didn't really like the idea of being stuck in an office. And I never knew what I wanted to do in my life, but I kind of knew what I didn't want to do. So I picked sure. something that would get me outdoors, you know. So, uh, and it was cool. It was a really good course, actually. We, we got to go on loads of field trips. And as a group at uni, we all would spend like two weeks away together in some random location. And uh, it was cool. You got to be quite close with the guys you went to uni with. It was good nice. Fun. Nice. Well. But you you didn't I mean it was just kind of something to get keep you out of the out of the office, so to speak. But then of course you see some parachutes. Man, was it a light bulb moment? Or was it just a I wanna do that for fun? Or it was a how the fuck do I become that guy? <laughs> it was I don't know, kind of a mix of all of them. I don't really know if there was like any particular plan going through my head at that point. I doubt it. But um but I definitely wanted to do it. And I kinda also wanted to be the guy jumping into the meadows which i was like four years later i was one of the guys jumping into the park in, in edinburgh so that was really cool that, that was like a cool moment you know and um but yeah i didn't know that it was a possibility to do as a full-time job all the guys working in scotland at that point were weekend warriors you know like uh, the drop sum was only open saturday sunday maybe a friday here and there but but no one was doing it full-time so sure yeah but you know it's, it was something that i was just hooked on straight away like wow the fact that you could just jump out of a plane, and even if it was a tiny little Cessna that took half an hour to get to ten thousand feet, didn't matter. And I didn't really know any different at that point. Sure. So uh, yeah, it was just uh, being able to jump out, and and the feeling of freedom was, man, unbelievable. So mom and dad send you off to Edinburgh to go to school, and you've got this slightly obscure, but at least rock solid—no pun, actually pun intended. Uh, <laughs> plan for your future uh and then you start jumping out of fucking planes so what did they think of that well yeah 
<laughs> apparently, I don't remember this, but apparently I phoned them up and I was like, oh, hey, guess what? I joined the sports club. They were like, oh, that's really cool. Which one? I was like, the skydiving club. And they were just like silent. Um, okay. They were like, we're not going to give you any money for that. I was like, ah, okay. That's cool. I'll, I'll figure it out. And then just forget it for tonight. So now, and how did parents, you? I was very lucky. My parents supported me with like helping with the rent, living costs, and stuff. But when it came to Scott Evans, they were like, "No, we're not involved in this." That's up to you. So now, no matter where you're at, Scott Evans is not a cheap uh, idea, regardless. But especially in Europe, with fuel costs, and I would imagine in places like Scotland, where there's not a whole lot of money to be made in Scott Evans, it had to be quite expensive to get started. So, what did you do to make the money to jump? Well, I was working in the bar at the drop zone. <laughs> on the other side of the bar right but, you know um and i was packing parachutes at the beginning you know so there was some jumping in the four months that i didn't jump but because i had one skydive one whole skydive and there was a whole bunch of people that had zero skydives um on the static line courses that had been after me uh, they got priority quite rightly you know so i was packing their parachutes hoping to get a shot to jump but then the weather would get bad and we'd run out of time or whatever so yeah i made a bit of money that way and and then when i did actually get to jump i had some money on account and i could use that so now how long did the process take to get through your a license well my first jump was uh october 2002 and i think my second jump was something like march 2003 and then after that it was pretty quick i was doing three four five jumps a weekend and i think within a month i was uh, or maybe six weeks, I was a license. You know, so nice. All right, good. so it went pretty yeah. quick once the weather decided to cooperate a little bit. Scotland's got to be a beautiful yeah. place to jump, though, when the weather cooperates. No? Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's got when be. it's blue skies. I mean, Scotland in general. If you ever need a place to visit, just uh, make sure you go in the summer. It's some mystical week between like you know May and August. But if you find <laughs> it, it's perfect. Man. It's a beautiful country yeah, for that one week. Exactly. Nah, it's not that bad. But yeah, when when you're like, uh, you know, a student and the wind limits are a bit lower or there's cloud, and, you know, yeah, it's complicated. Sure, but, uh, sure. We go there. We go there. So how long did the uh, the idea of geology hang on before you tossed it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I never really worked in geology. I mean, like, I finished uni and then I, I was working in skydiving at that point at weekends and stuff, you know, doing Tana Video AFF. And then basically, I kind of did actually go to work in an office doing project management for renewable energy for, I did six years actually, but it was not in the office all the time. I got to go out and about, visit sites and stuff. So it was kind of an interesting job, but it was a stressful job. And uh, I was also working in Skydive at the weekends, so I would be doing seven days a week for months on end. You know, sometimes it was two months with no days off, and that was like self-inflicted, you know, but... sure. I just felt like I needed to skydive to keep my sanity. But in the end, it was actually working seven days a week that kind of burned me out a bit. Oh, and that's kind of forced me at the end of the day to make the decision to choose one or the other. And obviously, I chose skydiving. Sure. Now, what kind of uh, renewable energy were you working on? Mostly wind turbines, but also biomass, um, biogas, and hydro. Like there's uh, in Scotland, we have a lot of rain a lot of wind you know right. not that much sun but it does happen um but yeah so wind and hydro are pretty popular in scotland and are you still pretty passionate yeah, about uh, are you still pretty passionate about renewable energy i mean is it something that you actively follow and, and encourage 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I'm all into, you know, renewable energy, uh, limiting waste, if that's energy or, or food or packaging or anything, recycling. Yeah, everything to do with uh, making our resources more renewable and last longer. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Because, I mean, I learned a lot about it at uni, uh, climate change and, and um, basically the state of our planet, you know, sure. and, uh, and it really kind of brought home to me that, we're seven, nearly eight billion people on the planet, and it's only going to go up. And we're not exactly treating it particularly nicely. You know what no, I mean? no, we're not. So, yeah, I mean, as scatterers, that's one of the things actually that weighs on my mind, you know, because I know that we're not in the most. I was going to ask you. I mean, yeah, clearly we are we are not exactly in the most uh, uh, eco-friendly sport no. that you can get. I mean, I it's horrifying to think of how many thousands of liters of jet fuel i burn every single year i mean yeah. damn my carbon footprint alone is <laughs> is pretty nasty well, no i know what you mean and, uh, and it's something like uh it's definitely weighed on my mind but it it also i kind of justify it to myself and that we're not the only sport that does this in fact most sports have kind of what you look at like pointless burning of fuels or something like that you know just for pleasure if pleasure sure. is pointless you know? sure so basically everything we do that isn't necessary to live if we use resources to do that we're kind of all the same you know we're all using these resources just for pleasure whether it's to drive to go and hike up a mountain you know if you drive two hours to hike up a mountain that's got sure. some kind of carbon footprint. if uh you know if you're flying planes or if you're racing cars you know all this sort of stuff that uses fuel it uses resources so yeah i mean it's it's not something that is limited to skydiving shall we say but i think yeah sure. uh, you know we all need to try and maybe green ourselves up in other aspects of our life to make the impact of what we do less and i try and do that in other ways you know which is a big deal right i mean obviously we're in a sport where um in the foreseeable future it's not going to change we're not going to stop burning fuel uh, to do what we love doing so you're right it's a damn good idea to try and find other ways that we can try and negate that yeah. that massive footprint we have that yeah. being said in the big scheme of things our sport's pretty fucking small yeah yeah exactly no it, for sure if there was you know the number of uh scatterers there are racing drivers or just people who go out on their bike at the weekend for a bit of a blast you know like then it would be something that would really be having an impact on the planet, I think. But sure. For our little, our little niche, it's not really doing anything. Right. But that being sure. said, you know, like, it's got to have Imperia Brava, where I live and work for some of the year. They signed up to be carbon neutral. You know? Nice. Whether or not that's exactly, you know, unit for unit carbon neutral or not, it's at least a start, you know. So uh, I haven't seen the figures myself, but at least it's, it's better than doing nothing. So it's something that, you know, you can do. It maybe costs a little bit of money, but it's something that can help at the beginning. Sure. And then, then there's well, maybe like you could use biofuels to fuel the plane. You could get an electric plane. You could. Uh, that's you coming. Know, there's various ways to go down it. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's definitely coming. Well, and I mean, I think skydiving also attracts a lot of the type of individuals that are thinking along the same lines that you are in a renewable way and, and uh, um, thinking about that footprint that they have. So I think if any sport as a whole has the opportunity to push for something like that, skydiving is it. Yeah. And I, mean, I think seeing the world from above like we do, I think it gives you a bit of a perspective that maybe 
the average Joe standing on the ground doesn't see, you know. You see the oceans, you see the, the, the land, the cities, you know, how big an impact we have, the new construction, the pollution, things like that, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's I crazy. Yeah, I, I don't know if everyone does, but I think on average, we probably are a bit more aware of it. I think so. I think so. I mean, uh, we've all had those days where we go out to jump and it's particularly smoggy uh, in and around the mm. city we happen to be jumping near. And it's just nasty. And you can see it. And, yeah. and there's no getting your head around the fact that that's caused by us. So, you know. Yeah. So on, yeah. on to lighter subjects, you, you get through your AFF, um, four years into it, you even get to jump into the field where they made the jump that inspired you in the first place, outside of Point Break, of course. Um, <laughs> when you finally leave Scotland, where do you go? And uh, how did that happen? Well, my drop zone actually shut down. Um, I can't remember exactly when it was, but I spoke to one of my old instructors the other day, and I think it was in 2009. Um and it moved to a different place. But at that point, uh, I kind of decided that I wanted to go to bigger drop zones. So I started to work down in, in drop zones in England. There's a lot bigger drop zones down there. And that was a bit of an eye-opener. They got bigger planes, more going on, more skill level and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that was kind of like the beginning of me exploring a bit more of the world of skydiving. But I was still working in my office job at that point. Uh, and then I think it was in 2013 or 14, I decided to take a sabbatical from work for three months and travel around a bit. Um, so I went to Brazil for a month. I was best man at a friend's wedding. Um, and then I came back for some competitions in the UK. Uh, and then I went again to Asia for a month. And while I was away, my girlfriend at the time, uh, I'd applied for a job in France. And, and she'd find out she got it. So I basically emailed my boss, still feel a little bit guilty about that, and said, sorry, mate, I'm not coming back. <laughs> so you're still on that sabbatical. <laughs> yeah, I'm still on that sabbatical, yeah. I mean, so, uh, well, how long had this been going on? I mean, it sounds like you'd been traveling for quite a while, so I'm guessing your boss had a good idea. You might not be heading back that yeah. way. I mean, uh, I'd actually asked before that to go down to four days a week. So I was only working six days a week, you know, with my two-day weekends. Work. And uh, I think he could see that I was kind of losing interest and stuff um, in that point. Sure. You know, but I mean, I, I gave it six years and, and I think he got plenty out of me in that six years. So. Sure. Now, at this point, did the, did the family kind of settle into the idea that you were heading down the path that you're on now? I mean, had they figured that out? probably pretty quickly yeah i mean i think they'd realized that i wasn't completely going down some suicide route you know <laughs> and that or if i was i wasn't very good at it you know right. but uh and also we'd I'd become british champion in vfs at that point and been in the british record and things were starting to get a bit more like recognized in there oh, okay maybe he's actually not that bad at this and um, and yeah, they, they always really supported my family. They might not have agreed at the beginning. Well, they didn't try and stop me, you know, but they didn't right. help me to skydive. But that was good for me because it meant I'd, uh, it had all been myself, you know. So uh, sure. but then they realized, yeah, he's committed to this. He seems to be doing all right. And uh, yeah, they were a bit worried, especially my mom. You know, that's what moms do. They worry. When I was going to France with no real plan and no job and all this stuff. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think they're pretty proud now of 
what I'm doing and what I've done and stuff. So sure. Well, so now you you uh, had a relatively short time to progress from basically just barely getting through AFF to a British champion and VFS and all this stuff. Where did you? Where did all this skill come from? I mean, because that's quite an accomplishment for somebody that's been in the sport for a really long time. But that was a pretty short period for you. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's that short. Like, started in say 2003 when I got my A license, and it was it was 10 years before I was British champion, 2013. All right, so, just just to put it in perspective, I've been in the sport 26 years, and I've won jack shit. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's keep it in perspective. You went from barely getting through AFF because of bad weather to the British champion in 10 years. That's pretty fucking good, man. Well, cheers. Uh, okay, I'll take it. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think... I find skydiving quite easy in some ways because I've done a lot of other sports that I think help with a spatial awareness and body awareness, mm. um, like gymnastics when I was a kid, karate, um, swimming, you know, anything where you're in different orientations, like sure. upside down, whatever. If you if your body gets used to being in those orientations and and being able to function and think, then when you start skydiving and you're doing that, your body kind of already knows what to do. Sure. You know, rather than somebody who doesn't do any sports and all of a sudden they're upside down at 10,000 feet, I mean, it, it can be pretty disorienting. So sure. I think like uh, that helps, you know, and, and just to be kind of a general sporty type guy, I think. Um, and also climbing. I did a lot of climbing and I think that helps you function through fear. Sure. Big time. You know, like, and in skydiving, there's definitely fear, fear of, you know, death, I guess, but also fear of failure. If you're in competitions, sure. uh, records, stuff like that, you need to be able to function through through the fear. And uh, for me, that I think that really helped, you know, to be able to just calm the mind, focus on what you've got to do and, uh, and just get it done. You know? I found climbing to be a really good help when it came to that because when I was introduced to climbing, I'd been jumping for a couple of years. And although fear mm. was not an overriding thing in skydiving, it was still constant. Um, and, uh, which is a good thing in my opinion, but with the climbing, uh, even if it's just a sport route, um, it's a sustained kind of fear, especially as you're trying to push those limits. Even if you're top roping, there's, there's just a different level of holy shit. And then if you get onto multi-pitch stuff and you realize that the pretty much the only easy way down is up. Man, it just is a real shift in mentality, and that translates really well into skydiving when everything seems to slow down in a skydive, but it seems to stretch out on those climbs, right? So yeah. it, it really does teach you how to deal with that, geez, here I am. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I like it. I like yeah. both the sports for, I mean, skydiving's maybe a bit of a shorter, sharper, sure, bigger fear, maybe a, and uh, climbing's like more prolonged, like you said. But you know, I love the idea of being somewhere where, if you don't have the training or the knowledge, you're gonna die. You know. <laughs> but you know, you you like, no, oh, I get it. I can do this. You know, sure. and, and you do. And it's like, wow, that was really. If I'd panicked or fucked up, I'd be dead. But I'm not. Sure. 
Well, and the kind of cool thing is, um, like you see all these documentaries of these guys that do these amazing alpine climbs or this or that, and and they um, are in a situation where it's literally life and death and they're using everything they possibly can to get out of it, or these big wave surfers that are fucking flying down mountains that are chasing them, and they talk about having to overcome that fear to get through it and that that's kind of where you figure out what you're made of. Yeah. I never I never really envisioned skydiving being that to that degree, but certainly to a lesser degree. I don't think skydiving is the I have to use every ounce of my capability to survive this because we've seen a lot of stupid shit happen where skydivers shouldn't have lived. <laughs> Yeah, and, that's true. No, and, dumb luck is a pretty good survival trick. Absolutely. You know, anybody that says that luck doesn't play a part's out of their fucking minds. But when you've got a Laird Hamilton that's riding a, a, an 80-foot face, if he fucks up, chances are he's dead. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. so I, I I think it's the same thing, just a slightly lesser degree, but it's a very cool feeling at the end of the night when you lay your head on the pillow going, fuck, I did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess it depends on exactly what you're doing there. You could maybe say that each swoop, um, you know, if you sure. fuck it up, you could die. But, I mean, I guess the whole point is you you go into it in stages. You don't just, okay, I got 20 jumps. I'm going to strap on that. <laughs> yeah, 25 and give it a shot. Right. You know, like, uh, it's, uh, yeah, you, you build up in stages. But, you know, at some point you got to, push it a bit and do something that you've never done before or whatever. Sure. And also if it's things like, you know, like the 200 way world record or something like that, you know, there's a lot of performance fear, but there's also a bit of risk. You know, if you, if somebody fucks up and gets overfloats into 200 people, you know, it could be really bad. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's why they have all the selections and stuff. So they kind of weed out people like that, but someone gets hypoxic or something and sure. You know, well, strange things happen, man, for sure. Now, how did you how did you um, find your way into basically being photography based and and being a full time camera guy? Not only how did you find that that was kind of your niche, but uh, um, how did you get into the technical aspect of photography? Because you're not just jumping out and looking at shit. The stuff that you're doing is very technical. Yeah, no, it's true, and um, that's one thing I like. Um, I'm a bit geeky, you know, I'm a bit of a techie guy. And I think most camera guys, if you scratch them, you'll see a bit of a geek underneath. Sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's something of a challenge in some ways, you know, because there's so many things that you have to get exactly right with your gear and also with yourself in order to get a shot. Like, if you think about camera helmet, like, if you don't charge your cameras, if you have the wrong lens, if you put the wrong settings... If you don't plug in your blow switch, if it, something breaks, if you, you know, there's a list of like 20 things that could go wrong. And if one of them goes wrong, you don't get your shot. Um, and then there's the, the aspect of you're flying, you have to get in the right place and you have to be looking in the right direction. And then, yeah, I find all that stuff really challenging and really interesting. Um, but I guess to, to begin with, I just got into it because uh, I love the idea of capturing what I do as a, as a memory, you know? Mm. Like when I was, I would always watch my videos and my jumps like over and over again. Um, when I was coming back from a drop zone on the train or whatever, you know, and, and I love to be able to think of ways to make it better, mm. you know, to make what I was capturing better if it was a tandem video or, or whatever. And I don't know if that was 
I never even held a camera before I started. It's got a, you know, I didn't really know right. anything about settings. It was all self-taught. I just strapped a camera on my head, took a few photos on a jump. Some of them turned out all right, some of them didn't. And I was like, why are these ones blurry? I don't get it. And then, then I figured out, I like researched it a little bit and realized it was because it was on automatic and the light wasn't good at that moment and the shutter speed was too slow, so it was blurry, you know, things like that. But I think it's, I don't, I don't really know why, but it's something that calls to me. You know? Sure. Now, um, did you, have you taken formal classes in regard to the photography side of things or is this all self-taught? Is this all just, uh, I need to know what the hell's going on? Yeah, it's pretty much all self-taught, although I have like looked at certain tutorials and things like that on YouTube or whatever, if I needed to, um, and other sources, you know, and, uh, I also learned a lot when I worked in Dubai with, uh, the Dubai film guys, they helped okay, me yeah. a lot. I would go and help them out on shoots the weekends and stuff to basically just get a bit more experience with the kind of wider world of photography and videography, mm. um, which kind of helped me when I worked with Jetman. Uh, and it also helps me now with, other aspects of photography and, and skydiving. Like there's, the more you know about general photography, the more that you can apply it to skydiving photography. Sure. And you can get a shot that's maybe unique and different for skydiving, but it's a very common shot in like another aspect of photography, but nobody sees in skydiving because maybe nobody thinks to do it. Sure. Sure. Well, I've seen I've seen uh, uh, camera flyers that experiment with long lenses to get uh, that more of a, a perspective to it, and it, it's, some of the shots are incredible. And on the ground, it would be nothing to you know have your subject somewhere in the middle and something really cool in the background. But in skydiving, so many shots are just one dimensional, and to see this incredible depth of field yeah. when we're in serious depth of field, it's fucking amazing. Yeah, I love those shots. Yeah, that's one of the things I've been playing around with for a few years now. And uh, it's a lot harder because the the framing has to be perfect. <laughs> you know, like, uh, and you're just using a ring sight. Sure. So, it's, it, yeah, that's one one of the challenges for sure. And you have to go, okay, how much do I zoom in uh, to risk it? You know, I want to guarantee I get it in frame, but I want to get the best looking shot I can, which means I want to zoom in as much as possible. So it's always a bit of a you know, kind of give and take on that and sure. how much you're looking And sometimes you, you fuck it up, you know, like sure, sure. all in shot or it's cause I like to get a, a jump where the whole thing's in shot the whole time, but sometimes it goes out of shot or, you know, it's not beautifully framed or something like that, you know? So, right. Yeah, well, so are you the typical camera flyer that uh, um, you'll sit and look at stuff and go, Oh, that's good, but it's never perfect. Yeah, <laughs> you're, totally. you're that guy. Oh, uh, big style, yeah. Nice. Uh, I'm always looking at my stuff going, Shit, <laughs> everybody else thinks it's the most amazing thing ever, and you're like, Oh, I fucked that one. <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm like, Garbage in the bin, you know. No, nice. maybe not quite that much, but yeah, I, I think that I think that's a healthy thing in some ways because it's always going to push you to improve, you know. Sure, so. sure. Now, what, what's your favorite video or stills? Oh, that's a toughie. Um, I love a photo because it's you can put it on the wall. You know, sure. that's, man, you can't really beat that. But these days, like videos, I guess 
I, I prefer photos, but for like social media and that things these days, videos, sure, uh, way more impactful. You know, well, so. yeah, I mean it's it's all about the five or ten second video now that uh, people can yeah. soak up, and and you've got the opportunity to get some pretty amazing video. But I think I'm right there with you. There's nothing that kind of grabs you more than an amazing photograph. Yeah, to yeah. Me. For me, that's what the kind of I'd say sixty four. You know, maybe nice. something like that. Sixty photos. Yeah. So. Um, How'd you get started competing with uh, with Airwax? I assume it would have been uh, when you were living in France. Well, actually, uh, I never competed with Airwax. That was uh, Baptiste Welsh. He was the oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. You took over uh, all the amazing traveling with them because it was so yeah. much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he surprisingly wasn't that interesting, or he? I mean, he's an amazing camera flyer, but he's not really a photographer as such. You know, he doesn't. He doesn't normally put a stills camera on his head for example he was only video and sure. you know i just think he wasn't really interested in that and that's totally fine like he went into the tunnel big time and now he's like mega star in the tunnel sure um but like i met greg and carrie in a few times at different events around oh, man, what was it uh, maybe 2018 okay and you know we got on and we you know they saw i was doing good stuff and they liked my attitude and, and whatever. So at one point, I think it was at the world record, uh, Greg asked me to take some pictures of the French group. And I did, I took the pictures, I gave them to him uh, like quickly. Cause I thought, right, I'm never going to have a chance to edit these after this, once we start jumping. So I'll sure. do them now and get it done. And, uh, and I think at that point he decided, Hey, I want to work with this guy. And he asked me if I'd be interested to like go and follow them when they go to all the different places in the world. And then I was like, okay, sounds all right. So that so, list yeah, is that list is getting pretty long as far as where you've been. And the the jumps that you've gotten to do are again, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it for the record, fuck you. So, <laughs> so cool the shit that you've been able to do. I've seen I've been lucky enough to see some of the pictures before you guys have put them out and, mm. and then of course I see them all as they come out uh, in social media and man, come on. Over the pyramids, over Namibia, over the islands in the Maldives, over all these spectacular places, uh, which ones stand out to you the most? Well, I mean, those those ones you mentioned are definitely, well, up there for sure. Other ones, like we were in the Seychelles a couple of weeks ago. That was <laughs> fucking awesome. <laughs> of course you were. Um, we jumped onto Rio, uh, the Copacabana Beach at sunrise just before sunrise actually and uh, that was amazing we flew around the cristo statue like in the kind of uh blue hour you know just before sunrise with all right. the city lights and oh, man it was amazing we had like a private helicopter tour around that and then jump <laughs> um what else are oh, the great barrier reef in australia we jumped on to like various locations but the best was like a tiny little island 50 kilometers offshore and the great barrier reef that was insane um what else um we've been to kenya like we jumped to the coastline there which is like super tropical beach landing sure. and then sure. jungle as well like wow amazing um i'm probably forgetting a few uh, but yeah well, i mean the, <laughs> the images that you put out especially over like uh, namibia but uh, of course the ones that everybody's seen are the pyramid jumps yeah. i yeah. mean 
you get to jump over the, the some of the most amazing places in the world, but I have to ask, you're going out to do these very spectacular but very limited number of jumps you get to do. That's got to be a fucking fair amount of pressure on you yeah. to really come through. I mean, are you able to enjoy those jumps when they're happening, or is it uh, I get to enjoy them as I look back because I didn't fuck it up? <laughs> it's a little bit like type two fun. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Fun after the fact. You're like, look at the photos on the ground okay that was awesome yeah i got it good but um yeah it's it's definitely pressure but that's kind of i also love that side of it as well you know it's like keeps you sharp and it really like makes you feel alive you're like okay pressure <laughs> I'm do this. But it's you're definitely uh living life at that point for sure so um, now how are, yeah, how, how are how are all these different amazing places being arranged i mean it's pretty spectacular that you guys are able to do this. So who is pulling these strings to get this shit done? Well, I mean, it, it depends a little bit. Sometimes it's organized by an external group of like locals, like uh, the pyramids in Egypt. That was uh, those guys. We go with the jump like a Pharaoh guys, hmm. uh, the original guys who organized the event. And they got all the permits for the military to jump the C-130 over the pyramids. Like, it's, I can't imagine the amount of organization that went into that. But right. Um, yeah, that's that side of it is external. Like um, the, the guys from that country normally uh, will organize it all and invite us to come. But then sometimes, like Greg, for example, he has an idea. You know, he's like, "I want to jump this location." So, for example, Rio was like that jumping Copacabana. He hmm. contacted all the different people to organize that. I'm sure he got some help from some locals, but that was him pushing it. Same with Chichen Itza. I forgot to mention we jumped. Uh, Chichen Itza Pyramid uh, started this year, January, and that was a challenging shot because the size of that pyramid compared to the pyramids in Giza is like 10% of the size. You know? Sure. So to even try and find that thing in the jungle from 10,000 feet, it's like, man, I was like, I had to shoot on 70 millimeter, which is pretty damn zoomed in to make it look big in the background compared to them. Because if you right. film on a GoPro, it's going to be like two pixels. In the right. Photo. But yeah, so at some point I'll, I'll show you the comparison of the two pictures from like the GoPro angle and the, and the zoomed in shot. It's like For sure. Amazing. So yeah, we did just two jumps there. And one of the jumps, I didn't even find the pyramid. I, I got there and I'm like, oh yeah, I think it was a pyramid. And it was a car park, you know? <laughs> yeah, but one of the one jump, I didn't get it. So yeah, that's that was uh it's not often i do a complete bust but yeah that was that was one i mean that's where that that high pressure comes in because i mean mm. you're talking about that's a, a couple of times in a lifetime that people are going to yeah. be able to do something like that yeah well i'm actually hoping that what we did what greg organized because it was hard and we couldn't jump right next to the pyramids we had to find like a we ended up landing in a football pitch in the middle of the jungle with power lines on one end of it. You know, it was like a huge power line. Uh, but, you know, it was tricky, but we made it happen. And because of the pictures we took, I think that it's more likely to happen again, maybe in a safer location, because there's actually an airstrip, like one kilometer away from the pyramid. But we weren't allowed to use it because it's like a safe, no-fly zone around two, two and a half kilometers around the pyramid. So, sure. yeah, we couldn't... Um, we couldn't go there. We're like looking down at this like perfect landing area and then have to go and land in a shitty little football field in the middle sure. of the with no eyes. But um, yeah, we, so yeah, Greg was the one who pushed that. And because of that, I think uh, maybe it's going to happen 
Loved it. Well, it's kind of funny, right? I mean, uh, we all think of skydiving as having come so far and it's so advanced compared to what we know of the beginnings of skydiving. But the rest of the world is only just kind of waking up to what skydiving does. It hasn't been mainstream for very long. So people still, there's a lot of people that just don't trust crazy people that jump out of planes. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, that's what's a bit frustrating is you still don't have the the general public realizing first of all what we already do you know they think we just jump out a plane and scream for 50 seconds and then pull the parachute right um but also they don't realize what we can do you know like what we could do for films for adverts for demo jumps for anything like this you know and sure like i think of what i do as a way of kind of trying to bridge that gap between you know the skills we have and the people I know and I work with and the people who would love to use those skills. Sure. But don't know who to contact or even know what's possible, you know? So like, uh, I would love to be involved in like bringing the possibilities of skydiving more to the mainstream and, and just see, I think it would explode if we could really sure. do that. I think that skydiving has so much more to offer visually than what we deliver at the moment. Absolutely. Well, one of the one of the the coolest things, and then one of the uh, worst representations of it I saw was the last uh, um, the Mission Impossible movie where Tom Cruise yeah. goes out and makes the C one thirty jump himself. And I know he did yeah. that jump because I flew the fucking otter that the guy jumped out of. Um, yeah. And he did the entire jump himself. He and and one of the crew that I work with and and did a fantastic job. That skydive is a legit skydive. So I was stoked when the movie was going to come out. I'm like, all right, this is going to be cool. I'm going to see it. It's going to be amazing. And it looked fake. They turned yeah. it into this shit blue screen looking garbage view over Paris that was clearly fake. And I was so bummed yeah. because it was such a spectacular jump. I'm like... I don't get it. You just, you ruined a golden opportunity to look so real and, and really highlight the fact that Cruz was doing that shit himself. I'm not a huge yeah. Tom Cruise fan, but I'll give him props. He fucking, he did a great job on that jump. And then they went yeah. and screwed it up for the movie and made it look fake. <laughs> totally. No, it's, that's one of the problems when you, you know, you got a director who has this crazy <sighs> idea maybe about what he wants it to look like. Yeah. And then he, maybe doesn't listen or doesn't have anyone telling him no that's gonna look like shit i don't know if it looks like shit to everyone or just skydivers but but like i'd love to see like a real why'd you have to change skydiving to make it any more right radical whatever you don't have to it's already badass you know? well that's the thing right is you, you you talked about the point break at the very beginning that you saw as a kid yeah. the skydiving scenes in that movie are fucking great it's ridiculous because they're screaming and chit-chatting and all that stuff in free fall, and it's like a 10-minute skydive. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's legit. Patrick Swayze is doing the jump. You know, I mean, there's outside video over that lake that's fucking spectacular, and that was shot in, like, 1983. It's exactly. 2022, for fuck's sake. You know, I mean, what you are doing and what guys like you are doing is leaps and bounds above what they were able to do back then, so they should let it stand on its own for sure. Yeah, wow. I mean, like, not to take anything away from the guys who did the film and then they, they pioneered it and they are like... Yes. But even just the camera technology has moved on so much that you can you could get so much better quality out of it. And then techniques and stuff of, of skill levels have changed, you know, free flying and things. 
So, you know, you if you make some kind of badass free fly scene, I mean, you can make it into a fight scene or whatever, but, you know, you don't have to change the background. Just find somewhere beautiful to do it, you know, like make it a real shot. I mean, I mean you don't have to do any post-production or whatever. You just have this beautiful shot. Like, yes. You know, you give the guy a chance to show them what they can do, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, we'll see. I I have I don't think Hollywood's going to listen to you or me anytime soon. <laughs> so when you're not traveling around the world and jumping over all these spectacular places, what are you doing full-time for work as a skydiver? Well, when I first moved to France and I was uh, trying out as a full-time skydiver, I did uh, quite a bit of tunnel coaching. I would go back to the UK. I had a kind of bunch of students there. And I would also do AFF in um in the drop zones there and do camera flying uh kind of a mixed bag it was like maybe you know even mixed between those things and then it got more and more camera flying more events filming like records or boogies um that sort of thing and i, I also at the moment i work doing like three months july august september doing tandem video in imperia um so now i'm not doing much AFF at all. I'm not really doing much tunnel coaching. Well, I do a little bit with uh, Airwax, uh, and it's about I'd say ninety percent video work. You know, sure. that's that, that's what I I do right now. It's it's uh, kind of taken over, and, and I love it. To be honest, sure. You know, that's one of the things that I always thought was so funny about the sport and so cool about the sport is the guy that just won the world championship in this or that or the other thing is now Joe Blow's camera guy for his first ever tandem video. And that guy is never going to have a clue what's gone into how that guy was able to do all these amazing things and make him look cool in that video. And I love that because there is a fair amount of anonymity in skydiving. Like the general public is never going to going to know who the fuck you or me are ever and no, why would you sure. yeah right? exactly it's like uh, unless you're i mean look at the even formula one racing drivers yeah people know them but formula two who the hell's this guy and they get yeah. so much more coverage than skydiving you know oh yeah um, but yeah i love it i work with like so many legends here in imperia you know you got pete allen you got bruno brocken gustavo cabana um man the, the list goes on like you know raf kudry world champion the fly warriors babylon you know it's, it's like man insane and these guys come and do a tandem with raf and they got like bruno filming them and they got no idea you know it's great yeah it is ah, well and you know one of the cool things that another of the cool things i thought is people have no idea maybe they've never heard your name and they never will hear your name but they've seen your images or they've seen your video or they'll tell you about the cool YouTube video they saw, not knowing it was you that shot it. You know, I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I've ever had that exactly. Uh, somebody saying, Oh, wow, check this video. And maybe once or twice. I don't know. I can't remember. It. <laughs> Probably happened. That would be a cool thing. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess I get a lot of people who go, Oh, you're you and Kelly. I'm like, you thought I'd be taller, right? <laughs> they know the name from the 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 uh, etchings on all the fo photographs, but they don't yeah. know. Yeah, fair enough. Exactly. Fair enough. They have no idea what I look like, obviously, because I'm the one taking the pictures. Sure, but that's um, yeah, cool. I kind of like it as well in some ways because I mean, Skydiving is a small world, but you you do have the celebrities in Skydiving. Sure, you know, but uh, I guess I'm not one of them, you know, because. Uh, even if people like really like my stuff, they 
almost certainly don't know what I look like if you never met me. Well, people, I still think people have a tough time um, having the whole hero factor uh, aiming towards the guy that's behind the camera because they're so used to. I'm looking at this is happening here, not realizing that the only reason you're seeing it is because of the guy that's flying the camera. No, it's nice. Sometimes I see it like, you know, in a video, uh, people comment, oh, wow, props to the cameraman. You know, I'm like, that's, that's cool. Thanks, man. Yeah. But, you know, it's my, my job, it's like, a, it's like an editor on a film. If you do good editing, nobody thinks about it. Sure. It's only when you see bad editing that it's noticeable. You're like, oh, that looked a bit weird or that cut was weird. You know, so... I guess same with camera flying. If if you do such a good job that people aren't even thinking that there's somebody filming it and they're just watching the amazing video, then that's awesome. That's the job. Now, have, have you ever thought of as a, a full-time camera flyer? I know that there never has been really a camera flying course that people can take, but I always kind of wondered why, because it's such a specialized thing and there's so many things that are quite difficult to learn that if you don't have a mentor becoming a good camouflage is difficult um yeah. is there do you think there'd ever be any call for actually having a school where you're teaching people how to camouflage well it's funny you should mention it because i'm i just filmed a course uh with uh yeah <laughs> good job um with uh, a company in the states uh called crave okay um A-R-A-V, and uh, they are bringing out courses for like lots of different aspects of uh, like skydiving, like canopy courses they've done with Alter Ego. Um, Inca did one for like body work for skydiving, how to get more, you know, prepare your body for skydiving. Sure. Um, and uh, I'm doing one for camera flying. So, so basically, kind of like a master class. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And awesome. it's all aspects like how to set up a camera helmet, um, you know, how to film tandems, how to film belly jumps, how to film angle jumps, you know, stuff like that common mistakes I've made, you know, because I've made a lot of mistakes. And uh, mm. the way to get better is to learn from the mistakes you make. Mm. Uh, and so I basically explain situations I made a mistake and what I learned from it, and, you know, how that's affected what I do now, things like that. So, yeah, there's a lot in there. It's it's not every single thing because it's impossible to, sure. to really do every aspect down. You know, you sometimes you need people to ask you questions to explain something. But uh, as a beginning, all these courses are amazing. You know, and, sure. and for the cost of like one day coaching with a coach, you can get access to all these courses. So as a beginning, I can't imagine a better way for like a beginner skydiver to get a huge range of information from experts, you know? Sure. Um, and yeah, like uh, I do know people that do some like one-on-one -on -one, uh, or group like uh, courses either in person or over like Zoom. Uh, for camera flying and uh, I've done some one-on-one -on -one coaching recently actually with a an up-and-coming young flyer he's a badass tunnel flyer but he doesn't have he didn't actually have enough jumps to fly a camera in Imperia which is a shame but uh, we talked a lot about the basics and he's a good uh, cameraman on the ground so you know he already knew so much about like camera sure. sort of thing so it was really how do we take his skills and his flying skills and his camera skills and combine them in a safe way to be able to get badass shots in the sky because like one thing that I say a lot in this course I did was like, you know, that you can't overemphasize the distraction factor of having a camera on your head. If you like really want to get a shot or if you have pressure to deliver a shot, you know, that's taken up some of your uh, processing power in your brain. Sure. Say. And if, if you don't have 100% of the processing power focused on your flying, then 
the risk of you making a mistake that either hurts yourself or someone else is higher. Oh, so yeah. if you need like 70% of your processing power as a beginner camera flyer trying to think about what shot you're going to get, that leaves you 30% to focus on your flying. And if you're not really badass flyer doing something you know about, then the chances of having an accident is way higher. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, we've yeah. all seen it, right? The guy that's sitting in the door that's dramatically more worried about making sure his fucking GoPro is on than doing <laughs> handles checks before he gets yeah. out the door. I mean, that's yeah. it's that's one of the drawbacks to everybody having a camera, right? I mean, not everybody should have a camera on their heads. Yeah. I don't. Well, I mean, uh, having a camera on your head, if you don't really care about it, that's fine. You know, sure. If you just put it on and don't really think about what you're filming, that's no problem at all. But yeah, if people are start thinking, oh, I'm a camera flying now, I'm going to have to get this shot, I have to do this and do that. You know, there's a way to approach it. I think this should be way more staged, you know, sure. in terms of, you know, film something you're really comfortable flying, you know, with a group of guys you know, in a place you know, with a canopy you know, and all this sort of stuff. Don't add in too many new things. Sure. And it's got to be that's a bad idea anyway. Um, and, uh, you know, like, start slow. Think, okay, I'm going to put a camera on, I want to get some good shots, but I don't really care if I don't, as long as I have a good skydive. And then, you know, get some of the initial fears or early mistakes or whatever right away in a situation where it doesn't matter, you know? And, sure. and then you do have to do a jump where there's a pressure to get a shot, like a tandem video or, uh, you know, a record or whatever, or you just, it's your first paid gig as a camera flyer or something, then at least you got some experience under your belt before you. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I remember uh, um, finally deciding that I was uh, um, going to do all right as a camera flyer, probably a couple of years after I'd started jumping camera when somebody came and shot outside video of me and mm -hmm. showed me the video after the fact. And I was horrified at the body positions that I was in flying i'm like i look fucking ridiculous and then i played my video and it was perfectly framed and not shaking and exactly where i wanted to be and i went oh i'm flat out not thinking about flying i'm lined up for the shot all right i'm it's okay <laughs> i'm good with no, that no for sure well, that's good like that's where you need to be to be able to make the flying part so natural or so automatic that sure. you have 100 or whatever of your processing power to think about the framing and you can yeah. do that in a way that it takes a bit of experience to get to that point. You know? sure, yeah, sure, sure. Oh, and a lot of mistakes. I mean, I can't even yeah. count how many times I bashed my cameras into the, the roof of the plane or into the, yeah. the bar in the otter trying to climb out because I just was not quite there. So, but hey, Definitely. survived it. So <laughs> moving forward, what are the next big events for you? Where Where's the next big trip or, or is there one planned yet? Um, well, I have a couple of events next week with uh, the Fly Warriors in Imperia. Uh, so they have... Um, a workshop which is like a kind of skills camp type thing uh, and then they have a training for the spanish uh, head down record there hasn't been a head down record in spain since i think 2010 and it was 11 people so uh <laughs> i think that's the right date maybe not but uh it's an 11 way and anyway they did the first training the other week and they got a 16 way built so i think it's definitely going to get smashed nice. this is the training and then the actual records in uh, june i think uh, or july and uh so i have those two events and then i go to Klatavi for the world record tryouts in the Czech Republic nice. uh, and then I go to Bali for a week I'm yeah. so fucking jealous 
of Bali. Come along, man. Come along. Oh, man. I, I, I used to go to Bali every summer. And for, I think, one summer, myself and another skydiver started talking to people about potentially being able to jump there and what it would take. And it was just this insurmountable mountain of shit that we would have to get over so we yeah. walked away from it and then i turn around and omar el is saying something about going to jumping in bali and i'm like oh, yeah. <laughs> i'm yeah. so yeah, jealous he'll be there exactly yeah back together again after the seashells it's been a long time. oh man just stop by um, Gil- stop by gilly t and say hello to everybody for me Gilly T. Gilly T. It's an island. I'll tell you about it off the okay. podcast. <laughs> I'll, I'll, try and, I'll try and remember that. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah and uh, anyway, then, uh, then I go to Greece for a wedding. Uh, and then I'm in Impria, Impria. And then it's the world record in uh, Chicago. Nice. So, Speaking of, uh, uh, you were recently just dusting some sand off your knee, weren't you? You got engaged. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't quite get the reference there. I thought you meant like I spanked in on the landing. No, no, no. Uh, yes, no, I did get engaged. That's right. Uh, I went to Namibia and I proposed to my girlfriend, my fiance, Jessica. Um, How cool is yeah, that? Yeah, that was a really awesome, awesome trip. Uh, I mean, it was super amazing to be able to take her to Namibia because sure. uh, I love the place. Uh, and yeah, as a place to proposes like i made it hard for it to say no you know nice 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 so when's the big day or do you know yet nah we don't know it's gonna be probably not this year um and also i don't think it's gonna be a a huge white wedding job you know i think we want something a little bit more personal you know like uh yeah what's the word intimate i don't know like uh, i'm not really into the whole big huge church wedding where you spend 20,000 bucks to make all your guests happy like yeah no it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me either <laughs> but i want to do something special but more personal, yeah. sure so um while people are uh, are listening um how do they find you on social media how do they come out and jump with you if they're a budding photographer and they want advice um how do they do that if they want to get training from you can they hire you how do they find you and cowie well, the best way to contact me is either through my Facebook page, Ewan Curry Photography, or my Instagram account, which is the same, Ewan Curry Photography. I tend to use those two the most, like to as a portfolio and also uh, to contact people or to respond to people who contact me. Um, if you want to hire me for something, then just send me a message on one of those things, if it's for an event or if it's for coaching. But, uh, you know, Try and do it early because my calendar has a habit of getting pretty full. <laughs> so, but yeah, I'd love to work on new things with new people. And uh, yeah, if I can do it, I will. Awesome. Um, and also, if you're a budding camera flyer, you can check out my camera course that's coming out on Crave, K-R-A-V. I think the website is crave to fly um, But if you need it, you can contact me and I'll send you a link to it. That's very cool. Man, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of the insanely cool and busy schedule you've got going on to sit and talk shit with me for a while, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, It's a pleasure, man. It's a pleasure. And there you have it. Another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void brought to you as always by, and say it with me, fuck yeah, NZ Aerosports. Head to nzaerosports.com. 
by Pussfoot. That's right. Head to Pussfoot.com, the Extreme Sports Collective, and check out everything they've got to offer. By SummitParachuteSystems.com. Jarrett Martin and the family cranking out amazing pilot rigs, as well as incredible rigging courses. And now joining the Lunatic team, it's the one and only Tony Suits. You know him, you love him. Head to TonySuit.com. Check out all the amazing standards, as well as the new incredible signature line they've got going on. And as for us, the Lunatic Fringe is now on YouTube. That's right, you're going to have the chance to put faces to the audio by heading to youtube.com and looking up the Lunatic Fringe podcast. It's easy. Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, check out all the amazing videos from the previous guests that we've had, as well as new and upcoming interviews on video. As always, I am the fucking pilot. Head to the fucking pilot.net or the princesspilot.com. Thanks for joining. We'll see you next time around.